This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. For me personally, it's not a, it's, of course, you need to learn techniques and things, but it's much more than that. It's, it's to follow guts and instinct than, than recipes and, and measurement. Enat Admoni is exceptional in every way. She's one of the country's most beloved chefs. Many of you know Enat from television. She was a contestant on Chopped, considered one of the most memorable contestants, and she went on to become a judge. She is a mother and the author of two cookbooks. Enat's new cookbook, Shuk, From Market to Table, The Heart of Israeli Home Cooking, was just published, and she wrote it with her good friend and fabulous food writer, Jana Gore. The book is filled with mouthwatering recipes. She's the owner of Taim, Balabusta, and the new Kishkosh restaurant in New York. But more than that, Enot believes that to love someone means to cook for them. She is the ultimate Balabusta. Of course, Balabusta means many different things, but to Enot, when someone says, I'm hungry, she knows she's got to feed them. In the vast culinary landscape we share, we are all carving out a place for ourselves. Each of us, in our own way, is a one-woman kitchen. I'm Roseanne Gold, and welcome to my kitchen. Enad, it is such a pleasure to have you with all of us today on One Woman Kitchen. You are one of the country's most beloved chefs. I just checked you out today. I think you have over 70,000 Instagram followers, but that's the least of it. You own three restaurants, Taim, the new Kishkash, and Balabusta. You are a mother, a wife, and you are the author of two cookbooks. And it's an exciting week for you and for all of us because your cookbook, the newest one, is just coming out. So it's very, very exciting to have you here. Um, I know you're known as, or sometime affectionately called, the queen of falafel. But I think of you <laughs> as the mother of Israeli cuisine in New York. I will take that. <laughs> uh, and I will take queen. Queen of anything would be nice. Well, I think people really see you that way. <laughs> <laughs> queen of falafel. The first time I opened Balabusta in 2010, that was five years after Taim, the first article was in the New York Times and they wrote, let's see if the queen of falafel can actually cook. Ah. And I said, yes, I can. So, so there was very uh, curious to see what I'm doing with Balabusta. Well, tell us about Balabusta. First of all, what does it mean for those who might not know? So, and, yeah, Balabusta, describe the cuisine. Balabusta means a perfect housewife in Yiddish, uh, but it's a little bit more than that for me and for people around me. It's not just a woman that can cook and it's it's also like something that slowly disappeared from the world because it's kind of kind of perceived as oppressive mm. uh, but for me the whole idea of balabusta and the way I've been raised in Israel it's kind of even though it seems to me as a child as uh, super depressing it's basically the engine of all my career So the way I keep my house at home, the way I run the kitchen, the way I raise my kids, the mm. way I inviting people and hosting, I think it's everything combined. Uh, so in 2010, uh, 
after five years of Taim West Village, I really wanted back to cooking because I came for fine dining before and I really was anxious to explore more than falafel on my own. And uh, then uh, Balabusta came along in Olita. It was there for nine years. And last year we moved Balabusta from Nolita to the West Village. And did anything change? I ch- I want to do like the new Balabusta, a little bit more modern, uh, but to keep some of the original things, not many. There is very few of the original dishes to change a little bit more the cauliflower because it's one of the first things I did in New York. So to change a lot of cauliflower and the ceviche, which is one of my favorite dishes, and to keep a lot of special on a menu and seasonal. So it, there is... There is, I think, the whole change. Now there is, instead of my Aunt Hannah uh, picture on a wall, there is my mom mural all over the wall mm. on a Vespa in the 60s. And we change, we make it a little bit brighter and a little bit more fun to having lunch over there and not just dinner. And, and it's, it's improved a bit, I think. Well, it was pretty fabulous before. I really love this food. Um, So when you talk about balabusta, and I really think you epitomize what that word is, to me it also sounds like there's a phenomenal amount of joy, joy and life. It feels very, very um, much the way you are and the way you approach everything that you do. So I did not know you came from fine dining. But before we actually hear about your career – uh, this is One Woman Kitchen, and I really want to place you in your childhood kitchen. So where did you grow up, and who's in the kitchen with you? So I grew up in Bnebrak. It's a tiny town, a small town next to Tel Aviv. And my parents, when I was 12 years old, they became religious. But even before then, they we have Shabbat dinner every Friday night, and of course Saturday morning, and the whole things. We always have the tradition. Then, so that's mean that every Thursday and Friday I'm around my mom helping her to cook for Shabbat. So I can get out. I can. Uh, <laughs> it's a mandatory. I used to hate it. Ah, it was a miserable time of every weekend. Um, it's funny because today I'm really embraced that. This is another thing that my kids go through. They're not helping as much. You know, kids today are much more spoiled. <laughs> and I always tell my daughter, in your age, I used to scrub the floor. At your age, I used to help my mom cooking. And, you know, I always see them and I'm like, wow. Yeah, it's a different they, world. <laughs> they got it good. They're but- born in a better time. <laughs> But well, I really appreciate the honesty. You know, some people look at their childhood and really wax romantic about it. And so you're sharing the fact that it really felt, as you said, mandatory, something you had to do. And you kind of I hate dread- it. Oh, hated it. <laughs> I learned to love it the minute I start cooking more. I think I hate it because I need to clean and scrub and like mm. really a lot of uh, labor intensive. And also my mom, she's OCD, so everything is super clean. And when the religious came along, she's also will need to clean herbs and rice every little. Uh, I grew up kind of crazy. Like before she, every Friday we cook Persian rice before, and it's a kilo or two. That's mean two, three pounds, four pounds of rice. I need to go grain by grain and figure out there is no any dots or blackheads on the on the grain. They're not broken. So you're going with oh two fingers one by one really fast on a big aluminum tray going <laughs> kilo after kilo. And it takes forever. 
to be sure this rice is going to be super clean and, and perfect. You know, with that as a background, and I'm surprised you didn't run completely in the opposite direction and become, uh, I don't know. No, I like either. to eat. But- <laughs> I like food. So you- I always did since I was very young. I ate almost everything. I enjoy- we- Restaurant wasn't part of a life. Uh, this is a generation of my parents that if you can cook, there is no reason to go out and like... Um, we have a funny story about my dad. Um, we're going to have coffee in the center of Tel Aviv. And he said, where are you going? I'm like, we're going to have coffee. He said, but there is coffee at home. <laughs> like, why you get out to have coffee and spend money on something you can get here? Right. That's they don't understand the atmosphere. They don't understand the whole feel in a restaurant that it's different. Somebody serve you. Somebody do dishes after you. Somebody cook for you. It's a different. So there is very few times we went to restaurant. My mom was a great, great, she's still a great, great cook. And I have also my daughter, Hannah, my aunt, Hannah, that was an amazing cook. I grew up with a lot of different cuisine. and with Well, a aren't lot. you also have a mixed kind of heritage? So or? my dad born in Israel, but his family is from Yemenite. So we grew up with a lot of Yemen food. Which is uh, spicy. Uh, spicy, a lot of schog, uh, a lot of dough. Uh, things in pastry or things yeah, in Yeah, a lot of pastry and dough that we learned to do since we're very young from scratch. Wow. Today you will see it all frozen and things. We did everything from scratch. Every, if it's Malawach, Jachnun, Kubane, everything from scratch. And then my mom, she's Iranian, but grew up a lot of a teen age in Iraqi home. Um, she hmm. came, she came when she was 10 to Israel and by age of 10 or uh, 11 or 12, she'd already live in a different family for a few years. So she learned the Iraqi food as well. But then my neighbor Tova, which is like my second mom, she's Moroccan. I grew up with a lot of different, I grew up with a little bit Ashkenazi food as well, because all our neighbors except of Tova was Ashkenazi. So my mom learned some, I always said my mom make the best kugel I ever <laughs> Ever, ever taste, ever. And I try a lot of those. Is it on any of your menus? No, I try once to make it a little bit more Middle Eastern. With, but no, Kugel, I want Kugel. I don't want to play with it. There is few things I don't want to much have a play. Uh, and I can't reach what she's doing. So um, I gave up. Well, you must have such an extraordinary palate, you know, thinking of all of these influences you had. And I know in Israel it's said that there are like 60 different ethnicities. It they sounds like the they time. were all in last your neighborhood. Last time I heard 94. <laughs> 94. That's the last time. Wow. Um, and did you have a big family? Did you have brothers and sisters? And... So I have a sister. She did Aliyah to Israel two years ago with four kids. And I have a younger brother live next to me in Brooklyn. Um, I have probably 28 cousins. We have a big family on my mom's side. And food is such an integral part of it. Huge. Yeah. Huge. Fantastic. Yeah. So tell me about fine dining and how, so actually let's go back for a minute because we're missing a step. The idea that you really did not like being in the kitchen and sorting a thousand grains of rice and doing the scrubbing and cleaning. Um, what what did you do? Did you go to school to do something else? Or so I find some... myself, because I got that skill since I'm very young, I find myself in every scenario. So I went to the military. I was a driver. And maybe a few months after, I became the cook of the whole uh, division. It was a, yes, it was a Air Force. It was all young pilot just finish um, the the school, the, the pilot school. And and how old are girls when they go into 18, the army? 18. 18. So wow. I was 18. And after a few months, 
everybody realized I can cook and I was <laughs> responsible for all the big meals of 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 this division and so I found myself then I after that I lived in Germany for five years and I found myself as well over there yeah I live in RV for four and a half years there and then I live in Holland for, for in Amsterdam for a year I travel a lot like yes. all my 20s I travel everywhere that's the best education isn't it yeah, yeah 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 but then I get to Israel a little bit late what I'm doing now and but everywhere I travel or leave I always find myself the one that cooking for everyone Mm. And every time I hear a friend said, "Oh, I'm starving my my I remember I get like squeezed inside. I'm like, "Oh my God, <laughs> I know what it is to be hungry. I hate that. It's the worst. So mm. I always cook, and I think I was around twenty five and I said, "Okay, this is time to figure out what I want to do. I travel enough. I have fun uh and I went back to Israel to study culinary school. So you did that there. I did it in Israel, and it's a very short program in Israel, not like here. And were there many women doing it in uh, I think we were in a class of thirty two we had four women or four three women, mm. yeah, <laughs> something like that and and it was super interesting because in Israel, it's a social country, they pay you to go to school, so and especially if you did the military, you get some benefits. So I went to school, I got paid and get paid to leave, so I can you know get it's pretty interesting. <laughs> When I hear kids here, you know, pain like so much to go to anyway, uh was your fine dining experience in Israel so to begin right with? after school, I went to one of the best restaurants in Israel, Karen under Chaim Cohen, of course, you know Karen he's very famous, and I know the restaurant, of course, so I worked two years in in Karen, uh and that was a really great start for me. Uh, not a lot of people finished at more and had the guts to go to Karen because they always heard, oh, you're going to peel potato for two months. They will never give you <laughs> like a job. Like the French system, right? They will never give you a job. I'm very pushy and I, I was very <laughs> insist. Uh, I got into Karen. I worked there for two years. And then I came to New York with ooh, my ex-boyfriend. So mm -hmm. we came to New York and I work in all fine dining. And also later I work... Only in fine dining. Which restaurant really stands out for you in terms of I your education? I, and this is another thing, because I travel a lot in my life. I like cultures. I like different flavors. I like different people. So I work at Tabla. I mm. work at Danube. I work at Patria. I work at Bolo. Okay, so this is four different countries and cuisines, right? Oh, no, and there those... is more. <laughs> I work uh, with Rocco. Um, Rocco de Spirito. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's really fun. Um, this is one of the reasons I love doing the show, because clearly I know uh, you. We don't know each other very well. I know your food. I know your reputation. But I do not know any of these details. It's fascinating. It's all about the ego, I think. I see, I see kids that are 25 years old, and when they, 10 years after, how they change, how they're back to the homeland how they thinking about to embrace the farm how they grew up if they have food when they grew up so I see that changes you know and I see my career change a lot and what I want to do back then I never thought I gonna do fall I was embarrassed opening a falafel store yeah so let's let's um, jump to that so how did that happen you left fine dining and you opened Taim I know and, my and someone said it was kind of a mini empire how many do you have how many times are just there? opened last month in Georgetown in DC Fantastic. Yeah. So we have, that was the sixth one. So we have six locations right now, five in New York and one there. And you also have some trucks and do I see? Not anymore. We closed the truck. But you did do that once. Yeah, yeah. So what is it like to open your first restaurant, even if it's just a falafel restaurant? 
It was funny. I thought, oh, I will be there three months, and then I go back to fine dining very fast. Um, I never thought it's going to take so much time for my husband and myself. Um, I thought it's a venture of three months. And, and how many yeah. years later? Uh, five years la- la- later, I opened Balabusta. It took time. And everyone around me said, oh, don't open a restaurant, just open Taim. This is like, that's where you're going to get the money. I'm like, I don't care about money. I want to... I believe that about you. You know, everything you just said just feels so much like you are truly the, the definition of Balabusta, right? Someone's hungry and you've got to feed them. Yeah, the Mizrahi Balabusta. And not when we come back, I want you to tell me about your earliest taste memory that you, you know, kind of really still swoon about. And then I want to talk about your amazing new sure. book. Thank And not tell me your earliest taste memory. I know you said there was some great kugel and lots of different uh, cuisines so in your house. Things. But is there one that stands out for you? Usually the biggest memory is about things I didn't like. I like so many <laughs> you know, that, things. That can happen too. <laughs> no, I like so many things. So I don't have one. I remember the first time I had good couscous. Like couscous is one of my passion, I think. A real couscous made from scratch. Main, and that's the mainstay of and, your new restaurant, which we'll talk about. Yeah, yeah. And so that's, I think that's one of the things. Like a great Persian rice with the bone. We don't call it tadig. We call it bone, the potato on the bottom. That's another thing that I can still like devour this like taste of my, uh, I think the uh, Fasan June, the, that I never heard about that name until I got to New York. My ah. mom called it black chicken. Oh, no kidding. Because that's the chicken done with walnuts and pomegranate exactly. molasses. Exactly. I never knew. My mom never called it Fasan June. She, she called it of shakhor, which means black chicken, because by the time she finished cooking it, everything black. inside became super dark <laughs> and beautiful. <laughs> so that's one of, uh, I think, our obsession. They're, all of us, all my, my sibling, it's a, a biggest obsession was as kids. Is, is, is that, that dish? Because at the beginning, she used to do it once a year in Rosh Hashanah. And later on, she realized how much we love it, that she was, will do it more often. Well, because, you know, our taste memories are so connected to smell. So it sounds like this was so maybe aromatic as well. It's smell. It's, uh, yeah, I still have taste of mango as I grew up because we used to fight over mangoes always. Ah, They were kind of expensive. And I remember how. And my dad got so upset, you never fight over food. And then he went and buy an old case of mango. <laughs> oh, that's a very loving, uh, loving thing to do. You know, I just wish everyone could see the look on your face when you talk about this black chicken and the way you're smiling now when we talk about the memory of the mangoes and your father going out. He says, don't fight about food and buys you a case of mangoes. This is beautiful. He sounds like a balabuster too. He was. <laughs> he was, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, So this is such an exciting time for you. You already wrote one cookbook, which is wonderful, in 2013 called Balabusta, I guess, based on a lot of recipes from the restaurant. But now everyone is talking about this new book. It hasn't even come out yet. And you already have like a dozen fantastic reviews, a starred review from Publishers Weekly and Booklist. So the book is called, and you're going to have to help me with the pronunciation. Is it Shuk? Yeah. Okay. But there's also souk. I don't need help. I do need help with the Arabic pronunciation Ah. and shuk is a Hebrew pronunciation. Very similar. So shuk, S-H-U-K, colon, from market to table, the heart of Israeli home cooking. 
Yeah. So beautiful. And you wrote it with one of your closest friends, yeah. who happens to be someone I know very yeah. well, too. She's fantastic. Her name is Jana Gore. And Jana is really considered one of Israel's best food writers. And she wrote two beautiful books of her own, right? Jewish Soul mm-hmm. Food and um, the, the Book of, of Israeli is, Cuisine. Right. And how did the two of you decide to do this together? And are you still friends? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's different to, to work with somebody else, even somebody you totally respect and, and evaluate very highly, because it's not yours, it's not just. And I think also for Jenna, it was the same feeling. But we work it out. The idea is to be very uh, open and, and try to be super communicative about everything. Um, But you both have your areas of expertise, and I think that's, Jana... That's what it is, yeah. I think if it was another chef, it would be maybe a little bit different, but that's what I was kind of insisting when I got uh, the second deal with my publisher, and I said I want to bring Jana to the table. I was super insistent. I, said, I thought that this would be the best because she's in the ground in Israel. I want to... Artisan really want to do an authoritative... Israeli cuisine from somebody that born and raised and grew up with a lot of different culture because the, uh, there is a lot of beautiful Israeli cuisine but most of them done by American by people mm. that fall in love with the cuisine later on in life they didn't have that memory they didn't have that super connection in my eyes you know they have a beautiful perspective but it's different yes and and artisan really love the ideas that I have that culture and We want to do something that is digging a little bit more and have a little bit more depth into it. And I thought that Jana, also because she came from Ashkenazi family, it's mm. different. And also because she has the ability to, to write about things that really happen in there and going. And, and I, I thought it's a perfect combination. Beautiful collaboration. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen some of the photographs and read some of the recipes. Yeah. But how would you describe the book? You know, there are some other books out there. kind of around the same yeah. time that often happens um, so how how does yours uh, differ or compare um, I know it's very market driven right there are eight or nine marketplaces in Israel that you visit and yeah the, so mm-hmm. the shuka is about and it is about home cooking um, I don't I, it's very hard to have Israeli food restaurant style it is home cooking even the restaurant today embracing the mother cooking you know they they own the way they grow up so I think it's uh and then the ideas that I we used to eat I used to go shop I used to go shop with my dad in Shuka Carmel and the reason he used to go to Shuka Carmel all the way from neighborhood because he have a specific restaurant he used to like to eat Yaman soup so and ah. my dad grew up next to Shuka Carmel he born in Shabazi so basically I have a lot of memories the ideas of a shook it makes so much sense Can you describe As, what it really is? Is so it like shook, our farmer's market? So or, it's or funny different? because I just got somebody talk back, oh, we have a lot of farmer markets here. And I'm like, okay, you've never been in Israel. Uh, <laughs> yes, you do have a lot of markets here, which I love and adore, and I'm going and shop there. But it's not the shook in Israel. There is no comparison. The shook in Israel, it's always open, open. Uh, most of them are, are, are super... open air the 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 outside and they not just have few farmers that come in to do some vegetable there is everything there there is a section with some cheese there is some meat there is everything in chukakamal you have some clothing and some souvenirs and you have the vibrant noisy um and it's very interesting jana talking about that from her perspective when she come from uh 
from Homeland and um and she was like shocked by all the noise and I love that I felt like ah, it's my home you know because my house smells. was super noisy no my <laughs> parents my all my sibling it's always you know different culture so it's very interesting to see her point of view about the market and mine and and I think it's super related to how we eat and how we cook and do people go to the market every day do they shop that some way? whoever mm-hmm. live close yeah today you know the world is changing a bit so Here you have fresh direct and in Israel you have diff- several different deliveries but this idea is not just a, about you shop there it's it's way of life right for yeah. the people who go there absolutely work there or, absolutely mm. and and each market have a different thing we have Shuk Levinsky that is all about the spices and and there is olives theres and it's like it's a lot about grain and spices everywhere so it's super interesting and a lot of the market have a little bit different different vibe and and Out of the eight or nine markets that you cover in the book, is there one that you love the most and then one that Jana loves the most? Uh, I think Jana really liked the Haifa. She's been in many times, Vadi Nisnas. Uh, and I think Shuka Carmel that is underrated and people not really know about. And I think that's one of the best. I like uh, Shuka Carmel. This is where I grew up. Mm-hmm. This is where my dad used to take me. This is where I used to go to shop. This is where I'm... In Israel, that's where I am. I always live a block or two away when I come in to visit, um, always. So Shuka Carmel, it's, 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 yeah. Let's talk about the book. How many recipes? How was the book organized? Um, and I saw some recipes that I've never seen before. I think you're really doing something very um, bold, that you're really introducing dishes that are not anywhere else in any other cookbook that I've seen. So yeah, are there we, some recipes and techniques that you think are? What, what are some of the great that, surprises? That how many more times you can see the same, you know, there is a lot of Israeli book out there. I think also not just chef, but you will see if I met a photogra- photographer that loves Israel and decided to do a recipe book about it. So there is so many. And how many times you can see another shakshuka and another... You know, we, I, I start getting tired. I know for a lot of Americans, it's maybe the first. Um, But Shakshuka, I think you were one of the first to make it in New York. Yeah. You're Shakshuka the one who made it famous. Sabich. I think Sabich. I never saw Sabich before I brought it here. Uh, and now you will see it everywhere. So there is a lot of things that, I don't know, I never take a credit for do it first because I, there is always a chance that somebody did it before, even if I didn't notice, you know. But the idea here is that... Um, It's that I want to kind of like introduce something a little bit different is to embrace more the Arabic culture we have in Israel. Mm. Um, I was insisting to have one Ethiopian dish because the this community always been on a side and they're a huge community in Israel and they have gorgeous food. And it's remind me my Yemenite culture. I like right. the spices, the injera compares to the lachuch. So all these kind of things, I was want to get more a big... You know a bigger picture about what is this food, and of course, there is a lot of twist of where I'm from and what you know how I see things, my techniques, 
and my expertise and, and you know, and well, experience. Was it a goal of yours to simplify things or to keep things really authentic? Like when you were growing up, you made all of these breads and, and pastries from, from scratch. Was there something very intentional or just kind of so, was intuitive? Some of them I want. It depends. So if mm-hmm. it's a shakshuka, I will do it. I did it with coconut milk and hawaii and preserved lemon and it's yellow and it's gorgeous and it's oh. different than anything you ever ate. So that's a very not... Because, creative dish. And because <laughs> we had enough shakshuka, so I want something like that. Then we have queen shakshuka over there that it's a little bit different than anything I saw. And then a shakshuka with eggplant. So we did three because we, shakshuka we have to put in an Israeli book. But I want to change that because people know shakshuka. Right. But there is things like uh, there is some recipe that n- nobody like know. So this is will be traditional. So if I introduce it, I want to introduce the basic first. And later on, we will go. In my next book, we will go for another twist. But for me, it's to get a little bit digging, a little bit. A and little what would be more. a few examples of those, a few of those dishes that you feel you're really introducing? So Dorovat, which is Ethiopian, it's not just Jewish Ethiopian or Israeli, but it's it's representing a lot of the community. It's something that I try to take at very tradition. And uh, I, I don't hoch. know the dish. What what is it? It's a. It's remind. It's really remind me home. So Dorovat, it's a. Uh, it's it's just like chicken that cooked is been soaked with lemon and salt, and then it's cooked with tons of caramelized onion and mm. the bur- the Berber spice. So it's a mix of spices, and then you have some hard boiled egg inside also cooked, which is remind Ooh. me the Shabbat Shabbat morning with the hard boiled egg. But there is also lachuch, which is a Yemenite bread with a lot of bubbles, and this is something I didn't want it twisted because most of people don't know about this bread. So there is a lot of both. Well, they will now. And there are two yeah. two uh, sort of condiments that I just want you to talk about. One I can't pronounce, and it's totally Yemenite. And I think it's shrug. Shrug. Yeah, I have a very hard time saying yeah, yeah. that. Can you describe what it is? Because it's the condiment of the moment. Everyone is, oh I God. see it everywhere. So this is a condiment that my dad will go to Shuka Carmel and get all the ingredients. Um I talk and I have a whole story about my dad, how we used to do that. And now we used to take this shrug for every place you go every wedding every bar mitzvah <laughs> every hotel you take my mom and the one time we've been in a very fancy restaurant chinese kosher restaurant <laughs> he it, brought it right after they carved the duck on his plate you take it for my mom wallet or purse <laughs> open this jar and just drop a huge dollop on top of his duck and we will all want to die so mm, this is a big thing the shug the taim shug that we did 15 years ago it's the same recipe of my dad uh, and that's one of the only things you used to cook. My mom used to cook. He did everything else, but my mom cooked, and he never let her do the shrug. He will always choose his <laughs> greens, choose his garlic, choose his chilies, which kind of chilies, and make the best shrug ever. It's usually green, right? It's not red. There is also red. There is red. Red is for people that don't like cilantro. Ah, okay. There is 50% of, uh, <laughs> of people. That's sort of genetically determined, yeah. you know, makes it taste like soap for them. The other condiment I'd love to know about is amba, which is kind Ooh, of a wow. mango. That's another thing I grew up. Condiment. Because it's super where, Iraqi. Where did that come from? That- so amba, I think it's uh, originally in India, but the Iraqi, you know, they have a lot of like a base in India and a lot of them came through India to Iraq, to Israel. So, but when we said in Israel, there is, it's in Iraqi culture. They brought it. 
And is it used like shrew, where you'll plop it on something no, at the end, or is uh, part of a dish? It's part of the cooking of a dish. Uh, it's a condiment. We will put it next to it. Uh, I do a lot of things with it. I do tons of stuff with zamba. I will mostly do aioli, so it's a little bit less mm. uh, intense and a little bit more delicate and can accommodate a lot of different things. And I will do salad with it, and I, I do some things with zamba. Um, and I is think it it's one of my well? favorite. Amba, it's one of my favorite. It's strong, it's intense, it's sour, it's tiny sweet, it's have some spiciness into it, a lot of flavor. Beautiful. I want you to predict for me the three recipes in this book that every food writer will write about. You know, it always happens that way. Really? Yeah, seems to be. I don't know why. Either because of the name of it or because it's so unfamiliar or it's a twist on something. Just curious. I think the cabbage cake will be one of those. Cabbage cake. So mm. instead of to, to roll uh, cabbage leaves, you know, because it's very common in not just Israeli cuisine. There is Romanian and Arabic and so oh, many different... I think cabbage different... is going to be, be the vegetable of the year, by the way, coming up, I really Yeah, do. I think it's about time. Yeah. This and broccoli. I think there is two vegetables that always underrated and... Kohlrabi. And I notice you have that Kohlrabi in the book. Kohlrabi I do forever. I grew up in Kohlrabi. <laughs> but we don't. So I know. Funny. I do that. They don't understand. I did like tacos with them. I did ceviche with them. I do a lot of things with Kohlrabi. I put it in my pickles now. Wow. Okay. But back to the cabbage cake. So Cabbage you cake, basically, it's something I saw in uh, Shaili Lipa. She's in, uh, a chef and a, a TV personality in Israel. And I saw it in one of a book and it was and amazing and I twist and change everything it's basically like a cake you boil all the cabbage you take mm. all the leaves you make a layers on the bottom and then you put all the meat together with I do with rice and a lot of seeds mm. and nuts and some currants inside so they oh. have some sweetness and a lot of different <laughs> spices you cover it with more the edge of the cabbage on the top oh. and then you bake it Oh, this sounds amazing. And then it's like a cake and you have slices with a beautiful, mm. and you can put it with some tahini sauce or if you're not kosher to put it with some yogurt sauce, and it's delicious. I think that's something that is great for hosting. Uh, another thing, it's a Palestinian Arabic dish that's called Musakhan that I already see people uh, that got the book or uh, saw some recipe from the book. They get, uh, uh, try this recipe, which is... Uh, which is a chicken on top of uh, like naan or lafa. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a confit chicken with a lot of onions. It's delicious, have a lot of flavor. Mm -hmm. um, chicken moussakan. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I can't predict. This is hard. I okay. have an egg salad that I think is delicious. <laughs> oh, well, let's talk it's... about that. What is, how, why is it so special? The egg salad? Yeah. Because I put a lot of different vegetable and I caramelize a, a crazy amount of onion to make some sweetness into it. And then I take zucchini. I think zucchini also, it's another vegetable that need to shine more. So mm. I take the zucchini and grate it, a lot of it, and then saute it after the onion. So it's bringing another sweetness into it. And then I fold everything. This is brilliant. Um, so we'll, we'll see. You, you, you made the prediction right here and we'll <laughs> see what happens. But I have a feeling you may be right. When we come back, I want you to share with us, us the five ingredients or spices or what we need to have in our pantry that will help us become great Israeli cooks. I know it's very hard to just mention five, but that's what I'd like you to think about sure. when we come back. And the gate to the garden is reached by a road Follow me on Instagram at Roseanne Gold. And check out everything I'm up to on my website at rosangold.com.
Okay, Anat, we're back. I gave you this challenge of five ingredients or uh, spices or whatever you think an average person might easy. need to have. Oh, it's easy. I thought this was a hard question. <laughs> no, it's easy. I have probably 20 ingredients I want to use for Israeli cooking, but uh, I think the first probably would be tahini. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't think I have any meal in my house without tahini. Unless I do in Asian food. And even with Asian food, I have Asian tahini that I'm making that is great with my Asian cuisine. What is Asian tahini? It's an uh, Asian tahini have, it starts like a basic tahini, but much uh, thicker. And then we open it with rice vinegar, honey, and soy. Oh, it sounds, okay, this is another recipe that everyone will start making. Mm, it's a but great you know, recipe. Not, so, you just used a word that is so beautiful describing what this dish, uh, this uh, condiment is, that you open it up with honey and soy. And I mean, that's a beautiful idea, just a beautiful culinary idea of taking this kind of basic, tight, basic yeah. thing and opening it up. It's so beautiful. Okay, so tahini. So tahini, uh, preserved lemon. This I use. Preserved uh, lemon. Preserved mm-hmm. lemon, yeah. I use it for a lot of different things. I do in the book I show the paste with it that I do for years because I think it's keep nicer and you can use it. It's more friendly. Uh, so preserved lemon that in the book there is few few um, few different like a fast one that you don't want to wait three months and <laughs> so preserved lemon arisa. arisa. Now I do yellow arisa with yellow peppers and, and, and avanero, and I do green arisa, mm. that's it with poblano and jalapeno. Beautiful. So like I a do rainbow. a lot of different arisa as well. Uh, but the red is more common and easy for everyone, mm-hmm. and I will recommend that, and I think I have a pretty good arisa there. Um, yeah, yogurt, I would say, but yogurt is so, I wouldn't say yogurt, I would say dukkha. Duka, Duka is, is Egyptian. Uh, mm-hmm. Duka is an Egyptian. Um, I should say zatar, but I wouldn't. I'm no, because zatar. too many people. Know no, it enough, already, enough. Let's do something already. different. Okay, so Duka. I will say uh, I will say Duka. Duka. My Duka is different than a lot of them because I add. <laughs> I'm not surprised. No, no, not. I'm trying not to be arrogant. It's so hard. I'm Israeli. It's my DNA. <laughs> but uh, my Duka is. My duka have coconut, and most of them don't put coconut. I've never seen it with and coconut. And it's super brown when they they make it and they toast it. Every duka I saw out there, it's super brown. It's on the on the edge of almost burning. There is no enough of fragrant, and it's not open enough. It's hazelnuts and sesame seeds. It says, so I don't do hazelnuts, mm-hmm. almost never. I do pistachios, so it's all my duka is super green. <laughs> I do almond, I do sunflower seeds, I mm. do different duka. And there is a lot of coconut. We toast the coconut, the sesame, the spices. Everything is fresh from seeds. And then we ground it slowly so to have some texture in the spice grinder or mortar and pestle. And so duka. Duka is like make every dish a little bit better. Now, the fact that it has so many variations, though, is it okay to still call it duka? It's sort of a duka revisited. Yeah, I have chefs that are doing Kubane for 40 minutes, and Kubane is supposed to be 12 hours. So they can call it Kubane? Yes, they can. What is that? Uh, Yamanite bread overnight. Ah. Oh, I've had it once. Yeah. Yes. Maybe uh, incredible. I think, I think at I, my place you have it. it I think I, my house yes, in Brooklyn. And I had your father's shrew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the we, happiest moments of my life. <laughs> I think I have the other things that I'm really all about is the jala. Um 
obviously there is chug and there is hawaiyaj is also yam. There is so many different things, pilpel chuma. There is million things that come from a lot of different culture. But jala, it's a mix of spice and seeds that I roasted very, very slow with a little bit, first with a little bit water, oil, a little bit onion granulated, a little bit sugar, and it's like divine. You can put it on every salad. You can mm. put it on top of so many different things. It's super healthy. Uh, How do you spell it? I'm not sure. Jala, it will be J-A-A-L-A. J-A-A-L-A. Yeah. I'm learning so much, and my mouth is You're absolutely welcome. watering. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm not. So, um, so much more to talk about, you know, your restaurants and what it's like to be a woman in this industry. Also, the fact that you were on Chopped, that you won Chopped, the television show. And Ted Twice. Allen, the host, said that of everyone, you were one of four of the most memorable women to ever be on that show. Yeah. This is extraordinary. Yeah, I'm judging now there. And you're a judge? It's yes. so much better to judge others than to be judged. <laughs> Love that. Well, you've earned that. I think <laughs> you really have. What's meaningful to you now? I mean, you'll be on book tour. But, My family. But your family. I know you're so, you have uh, two children, a son and a daughter. Your daughter's going to come and be part of the book tour with you, which is, she's 10. Very exciting. If I can let her scrub the floor and pick up uh, rice grains, maybe she can help me uh, create in Sabich in Miami. Maybe she will for uh. five days. <laughs> it's really very beautiful. Um, any advice for women who want to get into the industry? Don't. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I always say don't, but it's uh, they always ask me how I did it. I get this question how it's been manageable to have a woman that wants kids and family. And I think I have a little bit... I always tell the same advice, but then I realize it's not fair because I have some advantage. I work for myself almost for so many years. It's mm -hmm. not like I work under somebody and I need to ask for vacation. I could more control mine, you know, so you can do that if you have the ability to choose your schedule. And, and if you get to the industry to work in the kitchen is super hard when you have kids. I, we manage because I have a beautiful husband, Stefan, that support. And when I'm at work, he's with the kids and opposite. So we, we kind of balance each other and we're working together in the same, you know, running all the restaurant. But I think it's, I can't imagine I met women that want to give up the joy of having kids for career and or to have kids that, you know, after a while they live in and you standing there thinking, oh, what I did all my life now, I want to get back to work. And sometimes it's a little bit late because mm -hmm. you're not really sure what you want to do now at this stage. I think it's possible to manage with both. I think it's you need to juggle and you need to prioritize things and not forget what is the real things that are important in life. Mm. And I do think women are very entrepreneurial. Inat, do you have a legacy recipe to share? So I have a lot of recipe I do during the years that I love and feel connected. But I think there is... Uh, I think the fried olives that I did since I opened Balabusta, it's now over 10 years ago. People coming back, sometimes they 
they don't have dinner, they eat at home, but they will come and have a beer at the bar just to have the fried olives because they have <laughs> crave for that. So it's not just that I like it so much and I think it's so perfect for so many occasions. I think it's always also all the reaction from my customer over the years about these fried olives. Just describe them. Are they, they're filled, right? So, filled? No, no, they're no. not. So okay. this is the thing. So Italian do also, but very big and, and massive. This is manzalina. Sometimes I mix it with calamata. Obviously peated. And then I take panko breadcrumbs and ground it mm. until it's super fine. So it's still very light color, but very fine. And I bread it almost like schnitzel. Like there is flour, flour egg. and mm. egg and panko. And then again, egg and panko. So it's double panko. And then just uh, frying them very fast. I wouldn't say flash fried because it's horrible uh, term. Uh, olive oil? Uh, in olive oil? No, 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 no. I do that in canola. So mm-hmm. I... I do them fast and then they sit in on a bed of uh, labne that we're doing at home with organic yogurt mm. and a little bit of risa oil so have a little bit spice into them and they're super addictive and <laughs> you can eat them and eat them and they're easy and a great appetizer and some snack to start a meal. This is your legacy recipe. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so in closing, this went by so quickly and I just want to wish you so much Luck and love on the publication of Thank your new you. book, Shuk, From Market to Table, The Heart of Israeli Home Cooking, that you wrote with Jana Gore, a beautiful person and a beautiful writer. I do ask all of my guests this question, and not what does one woman kitchen mean to you? That you can control men. <laughs> no, that's not my goal in life. Uh, I don't know. But there but... may be some reality to that answer. I kind of no, like it too. No, I'm just thinking it's nice to see. You know, every time I'm thinking, what if I born 100 years ago? I would They would put me on fire for sure. Like it's <laughs> nice today. You see all these events. Sometimes they get a little bit too extreme. Sometimes, you know, it's going to come and be balanced. But it's really nice to see that women now are getting an eye level of, you know, a lot of different industry, not just in the kitchen. And it's super uplifting for me. I think it's a special year for yeah, women in absolutely. many capacities. Yeah. But you are such an awesome role model. Thank and you. Not, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. On One me. Woman Kitchen. I'm Roseanne Gold. One Woman Kitchen is produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2019. Follow me on Instagram at Roseanne Gold. And check out everything I'm up to on my website at RoseanneGold.com. And if you're wondering about my beautiful theme music, it's called The Garden, written and performed by award-winning singer-songwriter Audrey Appleby. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. Connect.